0: Thank you for being here this morning. My name is Dave. I am one of the pastors here at Cross Point. If you haven't been here in a while, or if, you're a, uh, if you've only been here a couple weeks, or if this is your first time today, we are in a series called "We're Moving," because we are anticipating that uh, very soon that God is going to uh, open the way for us to move into our permanent location on 110th in Oklahoma. And that is because of your generosity, and it's because of God's grace and power that has been at work over the last year uh, to provide a new location for us and to allow us to do a build out there so that we can move into a a beautiful church. And and we're really excited about that. And I know I told you uh, when we started the series that one of our goals was that when we finished this series, that we would actually move. And I'm going to tell you a little more about that later but when we move, our goal is not to stay the same. It's not going to be business as usual. We want to land at the new location with impact. We want to make waves. We want to make noise. We want people to notice. We want people's lives to change because they found Jesus. That's why we're moving. That's what this is all about. And for any of this to happen, we need to be ready. So we've been talking about what needs to happen for us as a church to build momentum. To build momentum between now and the time that we move. And the four words that we've been kind of putting out there to you each week, or the four challenges, are invite, serve, pray, and support. That's what we're asking everybody to do. And I and I know that if every single person in our church, if every member is fully engaged in this process, if everyone's inviting and serving and praying and supporting, that we will make a significant impact when we move, and we will we will impact the community around us, and God is going to do great things. Now, three weeks ago, we talked about the importance of inviting people to church on a regular basis, because God has put a huge opportunity in front of us. He's opened a door. He, he did that over a year ago for us to establish a presence in our communities with a permanent location. And the reason that we're doing this is to redeem people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, is to to have a presence in our community and to be going out to people who are far from God and drawing them into God's presence through, through the message of Jesus Christ. And a few months from now, we are going to, I believe, begin hearing stories of people, of spouses or friends or kids coming to church or, or going to Awana who weren't going to church. Maybe they had a bad experience. or Maybe they always just felt guilty, at, you know, going to church. But they came to Crosspoint and something was different and they decided to come back and then they chose to believe in Jesus and everything in their life started to change. That's what we're aiming for. I can't wait to hear those stories, and I know that we're going to hear those stories. A couple of weeks ago, we, start, we talked about the necessity of everyone serving on a team. And the principle that we that talked about was, the more focused we are, the more fruitful we will be. In other words, every single one of us, as a member of the body of Christ, has a specific and vital role to play in the redemption of people who are far from God. And if everyone is focused on their unique role in the family, things will go well for us. And, and for the people who come to check us out, I mean, it's going to go well for them too. And if you belong to Crosspoint, then you're not a spectator. You're a vital member of the body of Christ. As a body of Christ on the move. That's who we are. And you know what was exciting about that day? It was a couple weeks ago, we had 19 people added to teams. 19 people added to teams and a lot of our teams are really built up and I am so thankful for those of you who took that step and I believe more people are going to take that step once we move and, and we begin to see God moving around us. And last week Pastor Scott talked about he talked about prayer and the necessity of every one of us being present and fully engaged in prayer and be, us being a people who depend on prayer for everything we need and everything we do. Now, here's what I want to tell you is inviting people to church, as important as it is, it's, it's, import, it is, it's important to us being successful. And, and everyone serving on a team is important to our success, whether it's here or in the new location. Prayer is vitally important to our success after we move. But today we're going to talk about one more important practice that mu- that we've got to take seriously if we want to experience more of God as a church. And that is support. And when I say support... I'm just going to be honest with you, I'm talking about money. Okay, I'm here to talk about money today, and if, you are, if you're here today and you invited a friend, you might be thinking, oh man, did I pick the worst week to bring my friend, he's going to talk about money. This is the one reason my friend stopped coming to church, you know, years ago. I've had actually people actually ask me about our church, how much does it cost to go to your church? And that, anytime people ask me that, I just know that whatever church they came from or the, they, they used to go to abused this subject. That someone would actually have to ask me how much money it costs to go to my church. It just, it blows my mind. And and so this is, but I want to tell you, this is a really good week for you to be here, whether you're a regular attender or a guest, because I, I hope that you hear something fresh today about the subject of money and how it relates to God and his church, all right? Because a lot of people get this wrong, and, and I'm sure that we've gotten it wrong before in some way, shape, or form, but... I'm here to tell you that the, the subject of money and God has everything to do with God, has everything to do with what, he, with what he's given us, and nobody should feel guilty okay, because of how much or how little they've given. That's not what we're here to do. And I want to start out with a, a verse from the book of Acts because we've been looking at the book of Acts a lot and how much momentum the early church had. And this verse comes from Acts chapter 4 when the early church was experiencing explosive growth and here is what the writer Luke tells us as sort of a summary of what's going on in the early church at this time, which was a, several thousand people. In Acts chapter 4, verse 34, he says, There was not a needy person among them. This is thousands of people from all different economic status. There's not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each As any had need. That sounds pretty radical, doesn't it? Now, what you do with your money and possessions, we know this, what you whatever you do with your money says a lot about who you are as a person. And whatever we do with our money as a church says a lot about who we are as an organization. And when people in in the first century saw this new movement called the Way. Treating their money and possessions like this, it stood out. People were attracted to this. Why do you think that the message about Jesus was gaining momentum? Why do you think that when the apostles were testifying to the resurrection of Jesus, it was with power? It wasn't just the miracles. It was because these early followers of Jesus treated their money and their possessions as, as though it all belonged to God. They didn't even treat their stuff as if it was their own. Their attitude towards their money and possessions allowed them to keep up with the needs of the many, many people, hundreds of people who were joining the church on a weekly basis. Now, let's talk about support this morning, and I want to be very specific and practical. Here's what we're learning about giving as a church. Most of us understand what I'm going to call level one giving, and here's what level one giving is. It's giving directly to meet a visible need. It's giving your money to a specific organization to, or a specific group to meet a visible need. And we all love to do this. We hear stories of people in need and there's something inside of us that says, we got to do something about this. I want to participate. I want to help. And that's that's basically fundraising 101, isn't it? That's how it, that's how it happens. It, um, back around Christmas time, we donated a lot of stuff, to an organization called One Hope 27 that we've been working with for a while and they work with the, uh, the foster care system in Milwaukee and Waukesha County, which is very broken. And they are working to help foster families and foster kids to meet specific needs. And we were able to give a lot to them in a short amount of time. And it was really awesome and we all felt really good about that. And that's called Level 1 Giving. And I want, I want to tell you that we're going to continue to do this. We are, we are all about level one giving. It's very important. It's very significant and impactful. And I don't want anything I say today to take away from that. All right? In fact, after we move and get settled, we have some great ideas of how we want to do more level one giving. But the reason that we're in a position to move to a permanent location is not because of level one giving. You might think it is. I know we raised a lot of money in a short amount of time to be able to do what we're doing, but it's, we're, but we're not where we are right now because of level one giving. It's because of a different kind of giving that I'm going to call level two giving. And level two giving is this. I'm going to make it a priority to give a predetermined percentage of my income to my local church so that the mission of Jesus can move on and, and move forward. And so that the mission of the church, which is the mission of Jesus, can move forward. And that involves buying a building, hiring great staff, creating small groups, creating weekend services. It, it, it might mean my husband decides to come to church or my friend wants to come to church. My kids want to be there, you know, so that we can be in a position to give more money away, to support church planting efforts locally and outside of our local sphere. And whatever else God is doing around us, we get to participate in that because of level two giving. And level two giving is steady, consistent, non-flashy, behind-the-scenes giving, all right? Level two giving says, I'm not doing this to get noticed. I'm not doing this to see immediate change in someone's life. I'm not doing this because I feel good about it or it makes me feel emotional or warm inside. You know, we're not up here showing pictures of starving kids or deformed pets or anything like that to try to get anyone's money. That's level one giving, not level two giving. We don't do that, okay? Okay? But the reason we're doing what we're doing and getting ready to do more goes back to those of you who for months and even for years have been faithfully giving at level two. Level two supporters understand what most people don't, that there's a place for level one giving. There's always a place for level one giving, but more importantly, you understand that what created the context for our success as a church is level two giving, steady, consistent percentage giving, or we might call it tithing to a local church so that we can create an amazing church with incredible opportunities so that more and more people can hear the gospel and see Jesus in us and be changed. Now think about it this way. This is another way to look at it. There is what's called intervention giving and prevention giving. This is another way to look at it. Intervention giving is giving to rescue someone from a crisis. Right? This is sort of what we do with One Hope 27. And you give to help somebody out and they get to do, get get you know s- rescued from whatever circumstance they're in and we love to do that. There's nothing wrong with that. We love to do that. We're going to keep doing that when we get opportunities to. Prevention giving though is different. Prevention giving is giving to prevent the crisis. And we want to give so that we can keep that from ever happening again. Or is it so that we can keep this problem from getting worse? Here's the problem, though, is we lean more towards intervention than prevention in most areas of our lives. We just do. I want you to think about this for a minute. As parents, right? Now, when someone gets married at our church... We do what we call premarital counseling because we believe marriage is really hard and you need to be ready, and many people aren't ready. And so, premarital counseling just kind of prepares people for what is to come. And even with all the premarital counseling that you can go through, nothing could prepare you for marriage. I mean, it's just one of those things. Now, when someone has a kid, we don't do pre parenting counseling. But maybe we should because that'll rock your world even more. You know, it just does. It, and parents, you know, there, there, are, there are ways to prevent some of the problems that parents have. And we can, say, we can point them to resources. Here's a great book you could read. Here's a great small group your family can be part of. It's a lot of hard work, but it'll save you a ton of heartache when your kids get older if you would do this instead of this, or if you would begin to develop this habit and avoid these habits. And a lot of parents will say, you know what, we're okay. We don't need to read that book. We got this book over here. We'll, we'll figure it out. You know, we have enough support. We're fine. We don't need any of that. We don't need to join a small group. We don't need the support of the local church, whatever. And then sure enough, you know, because, you know, people want to just, they do what feels right. They just do what feels right in most cases as it relates to parenting. You know, this is the way my parents did it. I don't want to do it that way. This this way feels right to me. You know, there is... It, There is a lot of wisdom in the Bible as it relates to parenting. But eventually, for many people, whether they had good counsel or not going into it, they end up in a parenting crisis at some point. You know, their their kid just, maybe it's even before the teenage years, but eventually sometime when they're still living under your roof, something goes really bad, really sideways, and you need intervention. My family's being torn apart. My, I have a kid who's out of control, whatever it is. And sometimes you look at that situation and you think, I kind of saw that coming. You know? Something could have prevented this. If only, you know, they would have taken so and so's advice. But we don't, as a as a generally speaking, as people, we don't do preventative maintenance well. We do intervention. You know, I want you to take my kid to a counselor and I want you to fix them. I want you to, you know, send them to this camp and, and take care of that. I can't deal with this anymore. You know, we do this with with our health. We do this with our health. We don't take care of our bodies. We don't exercise. And then, you know, sure enough, something happens down the road. Maybe it doesn't happen until you're in your 40s or later. But it could have, your doctor will tell you, it, this could have been prevented. And and, and many people are like, well, uh, okay, okay. I don't really care about that anymore. Can you give me uh, some medication to fix this? Just give me some corrective surgery. Just let's just get rid of this. Just fix this. And your doctor says, you know, look, you can prevent this from happening in the in the future. Here's what you got to do to change this. You know, but we tend to just, you know, want a quick fix. That's how we think, and unfortunately, we give that way many times. As a culture, we lean towards intervention giving, not prevention giving. Now, intervention giving, or level one giving, it's emotional, and the results are measurable, right? In other words, you know, we see the children on the screen, we see the problem, we see the needy people, or whatever it is, and, and someone gets up and tells a story, and everyone cries, and, you know, we feel compelled to give, And it's also measurable because we can say, hey, you know what, as a church, we gave away, you know, 50 50 of these bags to this organization. Or we gave, we we fed so, so many families. And that's great. We love doing that. But prevention giving is none of that. It's not emotional and it's not measurable. But it's way more powerful. It's way more powerful. Let me ask you a question. Would you rather give to an organization that prevents sex trafficking, or to give to an organization that rescues women and girls from sex trafficking? What would you rather do? That's really not a fair question, is it? We want to do both. We want to do both. We should do both. If I showed you a picture of a little girl who was, you know, stuck in a slave, of course we want to rescue her. She needs to be rescued. And I would want to give to that. But then I look at her and I say, this should never happen. This should have never happened. This should never happen anywhere. How can we prevent this from happening? And the problem is, you know, you can't really measure what has been prevented. And when you give to a great church, it's preventive giving. And here's what I mean by a great church. A church that is devoted to the whole counsel of God in the scriptures. A church that is centered in the gospel of Jesus. A church that is developing leaders. A church that is on mission. A church that cares about kids, that cares about students, that cares about singles, that cares about marriages and that loves people. A church that is present in the community seeking the welfare of the city a church that doesn't gather to play around or give people a dose of religion, a church that's fully committed to proclaiming and living out the gospel of Jesus. That's a great church. And what kind of power does a church like that have? What is that church preventing? Here is what we can't measure. We can't measure the number of divorces that won't happen. We can't measure the number of families that are, will be torn could have been torn apart. We can't measure the teenage women that won't become pregnant. We can't measure the number of students that won't go down a path that will cause years of damage to their lives. We can't measure the number of children who won't be abused or the number of people that won't, won't fall below the poverty line. We can't measure the number of people who won't become addicted because of our ministry. And all of you here who make it a priority to give a predetermined percentage, you know, those of you who tithe, you're paying for the school rental, the office rental, the electricity, the expenses for doing what we do every single week. You know, paying for the staff, all of the non-glamorous, non-emotional stuff that allows us to be the church that we are. And you have no idea the difference you've made because of the things you've prevented from happening. There are so many sad stories that will never be told because of your support. That's the power of level two giving. And here's another huge benefit of level two giving. The better we are at giving at level two, the more opportunities we'll have for giving at level one. The feel good stuff. That's just the truth. You know, we're getting ready to move because of all of you who faithfully give a percentage each week or month, but think about what will happen when we move and and because of the growth and the exposure, being at the new location, the new opportunities in the future that we will have, excuse me, for intervention giving. We're already thinking about what some of those might be. We want to continue to partner with One Hope 27. We want to find other local partners and get behind organizations that are doing a great job of meeting tangible needs. And, 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 but they need some help financially, and we want to get behind them and say, how can we help? We want to find global partners who pl- are planting churches, or building orphanages, or rescuing girls from sex trafficking, or whoever God leads us to partner with. Some of those things are going to be level one opportunities, but we'll never have those opportunities if we don't step up our level two giving. And we do some of that stuff now, but imagine the kind of impact we can have because we double or triple in size. That's exciting to me. So here's my challenge for us as a church. If, this is, if Crosspoint is your church, I want to challenge you today To make the jump from level one to level two giving for the rest of 2017. If you're not already there, I want to challenge you to make that jump for the rest of the year. And here's how we teach giving here. We talk about kind of the priority for giving. It's very simple. Give, save, live. When you get your paycheck or you get your income, however it comes in. Some of you don't get a paycheck. You know, it's not the same every month or whatever, but... This is the way we teach it. Give, save, live. First we give. We give God our first fruits, our best. We save a little for the future if we can. And we live off the rest. But giving a percentage to God's kingdom first <clears throat> is the most important step. And it's the first step. And here's how this might look based on where you are. Some, You know, many of us made a commitment Last year, to give to the building project, and some of you, like our family, who made a commitment last year, and you're still finishing it. That's okay. We want you to keep going. Maybe when you're done, you can choose a percentage. Some of you who have been emotional givers, you give to special causes, or when you feel like it, or when it feels good, because you think that that's what it means to be a cheerful giver. I want to challenge you to be a level two giver, and to pick a percentage, pick a percentage, and to stick with it. Maybe you're starting at 5% or 6%. Maybe you're brave and you want to start at 10% and become a tither right away. Others of you have been following Jesus for a while, but have never taken the step to become a tither, which really is the starting point for generosity, as far as God's concerned. And I often get the question, you know, what is tithing? Or You might be thinking, all right, Dave, come on. Now, the New Testament, does does the New Testament even teach us To be consistent percentage givers, where are you getting this? The verse you read from Acts doesn't even support level two giving. All right, you got me. I guess I'll have to retract most of this sermon. Just kidding. Tithing, listen, this is important. Tithing is very simple. It's one-tenth. It's math, okay? Here's 10 singles. 10 singles. Tithing is taking one of these And this is my level two investment every month. This investment, I believe, keeps families together. It keeps weak-minded people from becoming addicts. It protects marriages. It develops leaders. It makes disciples. It helps start small, new small groups. It brings kids into safe and fun environments to hear and see the gospel of Jesus. This might start a new church someday. And some of you are thinking, you know, that's, okay, that's $10, Dave. This is no big deal. But when these become hundreds, right, or thousands, it's a big deal, right? And you're thinking, you know, I don't want to be pressured to give more than I'm comfortable with. I don't want to give so much that it'll force us to change our way of life. I I don't want to give until I feel it. I just want to give cheerfully. Well, let me be honest with you. And I probably told you this before. So, those of you who have heard this, just bear with me. But a few years ago, my wife and I made the jump from level one to level two giving. Some years, I don't know, five years ago maybe. And it was a jump. And here's why. For years, we gave when it felt good, we gave to meet specific needs. We gave when we remembered to we gave when we had excess, and each year we'd give our giving state we, 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 we'd get our giving statement back from the church and each year I thought I'd look at the number and I thought, "Wow, I thought we gave more than that <laughs> every year and I would look at the number i 'd be like that 's not that much I mean considering how much we make it, that's it's just not that much I, I could have swore that the church had overlooked something, but I was too embarrassed to ask because of how small the number was, you know. And I knew that we were holding back. I knew it. And then finally one day, and God was so patient with us, God made it clear he wanted us just to start tithing out of our gross income, from our gross. So knowing that we had never regretted obeying God in our entire lives, we started tithing. We started giving 10% of our gross income to our local church the next month. We did. And we weren't ready to. We didn't know exactly what was going to get cut out, you know. And we were a little anxious about it, but we just decided to do it. And now we do this online. We do it online because we don't want to get noticed. We don't want to forget. We want to make sure every month the deposit's made. And I worried about where the money would come from. I worried about what would get sacrificed. I worried about us having to go to the food pantry, living on rice and beans and all that stuff. Because, you know, we don't make a lot of money and we have a bunch of kids. And I can tell you that God has provided for all our needs and then some. We have never gone hungry. We've never had any regrets. We have more now than we've ever had. We don't miss that money at all. And not only do we give at level two, we still get to give at level one. And we will never go back. We will never go back. I would do it again. If God told us to give 20%, and some of you give 20% of your income, we would do it, knowing that God is good, his word is best, and if we obey him, we can't lose. We can't lose. Now let me briefly answer the question, should Christians tithe today? That's a great question. A lot of Christians... Christians wonder about that. And there's so many things that I could say about that. There's so many, there's, trust me, there's so, there's so many good answers to this question. I'm only going to give you one. That's all we have time for. Let me start by saying, anyone who says that tithing is not necessary or no longer relevant to us as New Testament Christians is making an argument from silence because nowhere in the New Testament is tithing, thrown out, or even discouraged. On the contrary. It, now it's all, it's actually encouraged in a couple of places. But it's also not commanded anywhere in the New Testament. It's not commanded anywhere in the New Testament. Now why is that? The reason New Testament writers stop short of commanding a tithe. I'm convinced is because tithing Might stand in the way of radical generosity. Tithing, my friends, is not radical. It's biblical. It's biblical. It makes sense. God gives me everything, He gives me all my money, He gives me the ability to make money. Everything I have belongs to Him. It makes sense to give God a tenth. But it's not radical think about it. When people in the first century decided to follow Jesus, they were committed to following him at all costs, even if it cost them their lives, which it did many times. So regular percentage income giving paled in comparison to whole life giving. Forget about tithing. First century Christians were selling their homes and properties, giving the proceeds to the church to meet the needs of everyone and to advance the gospel. If everyone who was part of the way was only tithing, the gospel movement would have significantly slowed down. In fact, tithing was practiced in other ancient cultures as a way to appease pagan gods and kings. Tithing wasn't even unique to Jews, so why would they even stand out? Radical generosity is what made the early church stand out. That is why tithing is never commanded in the New Testament. Because if it was commanded in the New Testament, any, early, any new Christian could just give their tenth and pat themselves on the back and go on following Jesus. And I could give you more reasons and more evidence, but I don't think you need any. Because here's what I know. The reason Christians aren't more generous is not because they, they don't know the truth. Or because they need an answer to some question. The reason Christians aren't more generous is because they lack faith. Every real problem we have, every addiction, every sin, every lack of generosity can be traced back to a lack of faith in the gospel. And the gospel tells us that all we need is Jesus and a roof over our heads, some food on our plates, some clothes to wear, and a group of people who love Jesus and love us. That's it. That's all we need in this life. Our problem is faith, my friends. So my goal here today is not to guilt you into giving more or to increase our annual budget. That's not what I'm here to do. My goal is the same as it is every week, and that is this. For you to hear God speak, believe him, and obey. And when you believe God and obey him, your faith grows. When you respond to the word of God in faith and obedience, you can give more of yourself away, and you can't lose, and you get more of God. This is about what God wants for you, not what he wants from you. He doesn't need your money. But he blesses you when you, give, when you give generously to him and to his people, to his church. He blesses you. One more verse or scripture I wanted to share with you today. So 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6-8. This is from the New Living Translation. It says, remember this, a a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give, and and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. What what gives us more joy than, than the gospel, than hearing the gospel, than remembering the gospel? And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. So, in your handout this morning, there's a, there's always a kind of a sermon insert here. And today the big idea says this, let's not only give when it feels good, let's give because we know what God is capable of. That's really what I'm trying to get across here today. And at the bottom, we've been putting a big question as well on the, at the bottom. And then today it says, am I a level one or level two giver? And what can I do to make the jump from level one to level two? And, and what will it cost us? And that's, that's all I'm asking you to ask. I, I, I would love for you to consider those questions today. You should count the cost and make a decision. I'm asking you to to be honest and count the cost and make a decision. Is God really, does God really want me to become a percentage giver? What would that look like for us as a family? I'm just asking you to wrestle with those questions today in the presence of God and ask God what he would have you do. And I want to finish with this this morning. Do you know how My family, and this isn't about us, and I am not trying to boast at all, please. There are so many people here who give way more than we do. But I want you to know how we can give at level two with with a happy heart and not miss any of what we give away. And the reason is, for us anyway, or for me personally, is the local church saved my life. And I'm being totally honest with you when I say that. I mean, ultimately, Jesus did. There's no doubt about it. Jesus Christ opened my eyes. He rescued me from a life of sin and death. He sent his spirit to dwell in me. But that wouldn't have happened if it weren't for the local church. Jesus used the church to save me. I know what life is like without God and his people. I know it well. If you take away everything I've learned, the friends I've made, the opportunities and experiences that I've had, I cannot imagine where I would be without the local church. I I know what I'm capable of as a human being with a sinful nature. I don't want to imagine where I would be without the body of Christ wrapping her arms around me. When I was an addict, when I was hurting, when I've been through the hardest things I've ever been through in my life, the local church has continually wrapped its arms around me and shepherded me through those times. When we've had difficulty parenting, the local church has helped us. When we've had difficulty in our marriage, the local church has been the local church always. There's no way to measure what the local church has prevented me from doing. So I am all in. And I know, I know I'm a paid staff person, okay? And some of you might be thinking, Dave, this is easy for you to say because you get paid by the church. But I, I want you to look at me as a normal, maybe not normal, but just, as, just like you for a minute, okay? Because we were, we've been tithing whether I was on staff or not. That has nothing to do with it. So please don't discredit what I'm about to say. As a church member, okay? Just like you, I'm a church member. I have no more value than any of you. As a church member, I am not just here to offer my time, to offer my talents, to offer my prayers and, my, and emotional support. I will always, and we, Vicki and I, will always support our local church with our money and not just a little bit because the local church has saved us. And I just want more of you to join me and my family and so many others who are already doing this. Let's not simply be intervention givers. Let's be prevention Givers. Let's give because we know what God is capable of. Let's do something so extraordinary that it gets the attention of the people in our community so that when we move and they look over at our, you know, they look over what's going on and what we're doing, and when they see us, when they, when we go to their door or see us in the community, like, what's going on over there? How do you guys give so much away? How can you support this? How how did you build that? Who's bankrolling that place? And we can say, we all are. Nobody's bankrolling this. We all Give because we understand the power of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for who you are and for where we are as a church that we get to be part of what you're doing in our small corner of the world. And we ask that you would help us, God, to follow you as we give more and more of ourselves away, as we give more and more money away, more and more of our time and our talents and our love and support. I pray that you would unite us as a church, God, that you would give faith to those who need faith and encouragement, that you'd provide for their needs, that you'd remind them who you are, that you'd remind them that every little bit that we give matters. And that the more we give away, the more you will provide for us. We don't, we're not asking anyone here to give out of fear, God, or guilt. We give, God, because of your grace and your generosity and your goodness to us. You have never failed us, God. You are faithful, even when we are not faithful. And we thank you for your promises that we can stand on them today. I thank you, God, that I, as a, as a member of this church, can challenge other members to give more than they even feel comfortable with, because I know, God, that you will not disappoint us. We know you. We know what you're capable of. You've said that you can do far beyond what we ask or imagine. So, God, we ask you today to take whatever we give and to grow your kingdom through us, to make your name great, to rescue people who need Jesus in their lives to bring them into the church, to adopt them into your family. God, make us faithful. Help us to act in faith today. And we give you all the glory. It's in Christ's name. Amen.